to the Financial Services Horizon series. Uh, we're talking here today about our ventures capability and what we've been doing with clients over the last couple of years. Uh, my name's Mark Stanley. I'm, I'm a partner in our consulting business, um, and I also support this part of our organization as well. I'm here with Romana, who will introduce herself very briefly, and, uh, and, and Brett as well. Hi, I'm Romana Dada, and I'm the new head of ventures at PwC, part of our commitment to our clients to create bigger impact and better outcomes. I'm really excited to be here at a time um, that, you know, we're in one of the fastest growing global economies. Um, Saudi Arabia has recently reported some big news, big stories. We're a very digitally savvy nation, as you know. Um, uh, we have a youth population which in the MENA region is over 50% under the mm. age of 25. Yeah. In Saudi Arabia, that's over 37% under the age of 25. And over two thirds of the population can be considered as young people. So it's a very digitally savvy, um, a very young, very hungry, um, a unique population of people that are um, hungry for, for new ways to bank, new ways to operate and new ways to live. So we're really excited about what we're building. And I'll let Mark, who's been part of the team instrumental in building the Ventures team, tell you a little bit more about what we're hoping to offer to our clients through this. And, and the premise really here, Brett, is that um, our, our clients want to be able to take larger, more impactful ventures capabilities to market in a in a way that is more industrialized and, and we as a firm have been partnering with those organizations to align our commercial outcomes to them to theirs so it, it's really about delivering bigger impact it's about design build and scaling those new ventures into market and then doing that through partnerships or even organically by building them with an organization ourselves as well um, so i think first question really to you brett is You've spent obviously a lot of time with different organizations that are trying to innovate, trying to take new propositions to market. What, what would you say is one more of the, some of the most successful models um, of venture building and, and taking new ventures to market? Well, the first thing to recognize when, it, when you're looking for capital efficiency in terms of bang for buck in respect to innovation, um, fintechs can always deliver that innovation faster and cheaper than a bank can do it internally. I've not seen any um, any cases where that's that's the opposite, right? Um, so th this is the core driver for fintech partnerships. If you want to progress, you know, do innovation faster and cheaper, then partnerships are going to be the way to do it. In terms of the biggest banks on the planet, you know, ICBC out of China, um, uh, JP Morgan Chase, uh, we're talking thousands and thousands of, of partnerships in their ecosystem massive uh, infrastructure in terms of uh, um, partnerships and venture investments. Uh, another good example is uh, Spurbank, which which got into this very early. Now, of course, Russia is a whole different um, you know, situation today, but in those early days, they, they were one of the first to create a venture fund and a venture arm. Um, and you know, if you look at some of the, the banks that have been less progressive, the likes of HSBC and Deutsche Bank and others, they resisted that. You know, they they went for more of that internal build approach rather than uh, partnering. Uh, but the 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 venture approach allows you to be much more experimentational. You don't have to make big bets. You don't have to uh, commit the organisation to a strategy that you're uncertain of. You can experiment with trying you know out those innovations through um you know the extension of those fintech partnerships or technology partnerships and that then gives you the ability over time to see which of those bets are going to pay off and then integrate that into uh the larger ecosystem and i think we've i've seen um uh in this market quite a lot 
concept of kind of innovation theater where people are taking things to market because they look good on a bit of branding right. or a good bit of marketing, but in reality, not grounded in a commercial outcome. They haven't really been aligned to say the business owner that wants to then drive that into the market alongside the existing set of propositions that they have. And this is a trend that I've seen and one that I think we're trying to tackle through this as well. But we want to narrow the innovation funnel, improve the return on investment that you've just referenced. That Here's really the, is the, I think, the focus for us too. Yeah, absolutely. Here's the trick. If you're running hackathons and you don't have a venture arm, then it's useless. Because it's, yeah. Right? Exactly. Um, and so we've seen a lot of that in the innovation theatre. Um, uh, my uh, colleague, JP Nichols, who I work with at Breaking Banks, which is the, our fintech podcast, JP calls it the and eyes, right? Which is, um, I'm in charge of this and innovation, you know, in the organization, you know? So um, this really needs to be a DNA thing, right? It needs to be part of the culture. You are going to have to partner. And, you know, when, when we look at the technology domination in financial services, Today, 99% of financial service transactions go through technology, whether it's a smartphone or internet or whatever. And then you're going to have smart glasses and AI and all of this into the mix. And you are never going to build smart speakers. You're never going to build smart glasses. You're never going to be a smartphone manufacturer. So you, at a minimum, you're going to have to interface with the technology layers that own, own that ecosystem. And then when you talk about specialization in terms of behavioral AI and conversational AI and things like that, again, you're not going to build that from scratch. It makes no sense because we have organizations have spent years developing those capabilities like neural networks and so forth. So you are going to have to partner to be successful in this. So the sooner you set up a commitment to these venture arms and really develop that partnership capability, um, you know, the better off you'll be. But m most banks don't even have a basic partnership infrastructure. They think the procurement department is who negotiates partnerships. When, you know, what does the procurement department care about technology or culture in the organization and merging two different types of cultures uh, to work more effectively in terms of customer outcomes? You know, nothing really. And I've seen this actually at certain banks where there's a tussle between the technology teams and the business teams around who owns those fintech partnerships, which is which is nonsense. I mean, it's got to be driven by revenue, so make like it, growth and everything right, else. Make it a venture arm yeah. or make it a partnerships team that manages it. Because the reality is if I'm coming in as, and I, you know, I run a banking as a service platform today, Movin, and if, if we're going in to partner with the bank, we are, we're going to have a business sponsor. We're going to have a technology sponsor. We have to work with the legal procurement teams. There's a whole, you know, we, we are embedded. We become, if to be successful, we have to become embedded in the organization in various departments. And what makes that easier is if we have someone that represents the bank to help us, you know, guide us through those process with each of those different departments rather than, you know, I don't want to become a part of the negotiation between the business and technology teams. That's for you guys to sort out. I'm there to give you some operational, you know, advantages, you know. And if I'm spent, you know, just even on the legal side, if as a fintech you're passing me this 80-page contract that I've got to go through, that is potentially the single worst thing I could spend my time on as a fintech. To dry because A, I don't have the expertise. B, you know, you're trying to game it so that you can win in some way if there's some breach of the contract when, you know, that's bad faith, you know, from the get-go, right? Yeah. I was just going to say that, I mean, CBC, you mentioned as a service and CBC as a service is, you know, currently becoming quite on trend. Um, outside of the region, of course, this has been something that has been happening time and time again. We've seen it with some of the big banks, you know, Deutsche Bank, ING, et cetera. 
Um, I think in the region, it's still relatively new and, and there's a considerable opportunity. It's something that we're definitely looking at as a team as well. I don't know, given your knowledge and experience of the region, do you see any particular challenges with delivering you know, CBC as a service here? I know you've delivered many services here uh, across training and, and various financial products in the region. Uh, so look, I think um, you know the the main challenges in this region here. You know, right now the obviously cloud, you know, is is a problem. You know, we need better cloud uh, movement from a regulatory perspective. That comes back to data residency, residency and so forth. But the uh, the bigger problem is more like the build build internal you know uh, strategy. So what you have is um, you have a lot of partnerships that tend to be what I would call, you know, fintech tire kicking, or some of my friends call it the fintech petting zoo, right? Where you set up these, you know, um, and, you know, the the innovation, uh, you know, uh, uh, PR stuff, you know, where um, we're announcing this partnership and that partnership, but what we're really trying to do is get under the hood and see how you've developed the technology so now we can replicate it, right? Um, which I think is is sort of crazy you know in in this environment because again you know the fintech is always going to be deliver delivering it faster and cheaper but in terms of that overall um from a um overall regional perspective i think the two biggest hurdles are the fact that you know um you that build internally mentality is bad faith for fintech partnerships and secondly um, you know, from a regulatory perspective, we are making some progress, but the the fastest innovating markets tend to be those that really foster that fintech innovation at a local market level. And you are going to need cloud and some of that basic infrastructure to to really support the growth of that fintech innovation. So I know it's quite a, quite a uh, you know an answer specifically to that area, but they're the the sort of hygiene factors, if you like. And are there any great models internationally that you think have, you know, been best world class, let's say, in the banking sector specifically? I think um, China is clearly the standout um, because they took a, a much more of a backward approach in terms of regulation, letting the the mobile wallet ecosystems, Alipay and Tencent, WeChat Pay, which both turned into super apps as well sort of go and create disruptive innovation, then they stepped in to regulate. But even today, after that, the, their regulatory touch tends to be much lighter than what we've seen in, say, the, uh, the US or, um, um, you know, the, the EU region. Although, you know, having said that, there's obviously been a crackdown on, on the tech, uh, uh, tech players there. Um, but um, what that really did is create some really interesting pressure across the region for more advancement. So Singapore then followed, and Singapore's probably one of the most progressive regulators on the planet today, along with, I would say, the FCA in the UK. Those are two real standouts. Um, but when you compare what those, you know, the pressure that the Chinese ecosystem put on Singapore and Hong Kong and so forth, you get some interesting tells. So Hong Kong resisted the type of regulatory advancement that we'd seen in Singapore and China, and the Hong Kong banks quickly started to fall behind. So where incumbents are favoured in markets like Hong Kong a few years ago and in the United States, you've seen a real gap open up between the more progressive regulatory markets uh, in terms of overall industry innovation. Um, and, and so that's a tell. You know, the US now, just on payments, um, you know, you you have this FedNow uh, infrastructure coming into play, but 
even so, it's going to be many years before most banks have real-time payments. In the US, if I want to send money from one bank to another, it's still going to take five days in most cases, which is ludicrous today. You know, when, in a world where I can post a TikTok video in seconds and you know text someone around the world and you know have these sort of capabilities, the fact that it takes you five days to send money. Well, part of that is because they favoured incumbents rather than um, be more progressive from a regulatory stance. Yes. I mean, there's one question I get asked a lot also is where do you see uh, the fintech industry kind of moving? I mean, especially here in the region, a lot of ventures funding actually was poured into fintechs. In fact, probably the majority of funding over the last couple of years. Um, so the question I get asked a lot is, is it consolidation? You know, where, where do you yeah. see this moving? I, look, I do think there's m more consolidation. Uh, even now, we see you know the practice of uh, fintechs buying banks, so SoFi, SoFi in the US, uh, PayHippo in Nigeria, others. You know where the fintechs are now starting to acquire banks, and uh, you know other the you know obviously the other way around, banks acquiring fintechs. Um, but um, you know the the big uh, I think the big really interesting element here is how do fintechs become sort of pan-regional and more global in in their presence. That's sort of I think the next stage of the fintechs. How are we going to get the big fintechs that are able to do what Revolut has, for example, in the EU and become sort of more of a a pan-regional play? Because often you know the problem with the GCC market in particular is the markets are quite small for fintechs, and it's hard for them to get that, uh, that critical mass, right? So the ability to go sort of pan-regional. So if you know, I think if you wanted to create real innovation in the GCC market, come up with a sort of a, a GCC fintech charter. That's a game changer. Yeah, yeah. We've talked about that. Yeah. I think that comes up in many conversations for yeah. entrepreneurs because that is the key thing. And even if you talk to many of the larger investors, Sequoia, etc., they say one of the biggest risks of investing in this region is that just because of the regulatory breakup and, of course, the risk. So I think that's a conversation. Well, uh, well, you know, we have had international banking for obviously decades, but uh, let me play out a scenario for you. Let's talk about, say, the 2030s, right? In the 2030s, let's say, for example, Singapore, um, you know, I'm using their example specifically because we've had this discussion, is the MAS comes out and says, you know what, we're going to create a global fintech charter. You can operate out of Singapore, and as long as you can KYC a customer to our satisfaction, you can onboard a customer from anywhere in the world, and they can now put a deposit and operate on a Singaporean bank account. Now you've got a situation where a virtual bank can operate on a virtual fintech license anywhere in the world. So what does the US do? Do they ban Singaporean banks from operating in the United States because, you know, it breaks. So you, you need to have a global regulatory approach at some point in respect to this. I don't think it makes sense to have local fintech or local, uh, you know, crypto and, and token regulation anymore. I think we have to take a pan-regional approach at a minimum. And just to close, this one last question for you. As a futurist, I mean, we talk about, like, in the telco industry is a great example that I love to use, which is the WhatsApp case study, how that wiped out, you know, billions in revenue overnight for the telco sector. Do you see anything, uh, or ha can you envisage anything like that our, our clients should be looking out for in the fintech space? Um, the mobile wallet is the bank account of the future. And if you're not integrated into a wallet, then you're going to lose all the visibility on your savings and credit access in very short order. Already today, which most banks don't realize, is that more people have a mobile wallet as their primary value store than any bank account in, you know, issued by a bank anywhere in the world. So the mobile wallet is already the primary bank account of the world. And that changes the, the mix because 
most of those mobile wallets are not run by banks. So it's basically the same thing as what's happened in the telco space. Okay. All right, Brad. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Again, we could talk about this round. Yeah. <laughs> Thank, Thank you, you very much, Brad. You're welcome.